the Smodcast, whoever is here right now, you know, we're birthing babies here, people. We're doing a new show. And <laughs> poor Matt, who's my producer, I, God bless him. He's breathing now, but don't worry. <laughs> Anyway, I want to welcome you all to Waking from the American Dream. And uh, just so you know my little format here, I play some music during my show. So I'm going to play another little song and then we're going to jump right in. This is uh, Tracy Newman, Fire Up the Weed. I'm embarrassed to say This relationship works because we never talk Except for make me some eggs, bacon and toast And aren't you gonna wear socks? To be honest and true, what I like about you Is that you're always high You don't care if we never get out of the house And neither do I This must be the way we want it This must be what we need I'll make the martinis And you fire up the weed To how we began And that's what silences me You were with someone else I snatched you up for myself Like the last piece of meat Not that you didn't Jump at the chance Old dog that you are said get in the car this must be the way we want it this must be what we need I'll make the martinis and you fire up the weed I think the talking things through is overrated I'd rather be blue and medicated It took a few years And buckets of tears For me to understand Why your ex never once Even complained When I took her man She was patiently waiting For a sucker like me To come on to the scene I did her a favor And she'll be forever grateful to me This must be the way we wanted This must be what we need 
martinis and you fire up the weed. Keep each other out of circulation, doing mankind a very good deed. Like I said, that is Tracy Newman with Fire Up the Weed. Uh, Tracy's been a guest on my show before. If you check out my archives, if you're a new listener, you'll be able to check out all my archives on the Smodcast thingy, that website thingy. Uh, and uh, Tracy's amazing. She's a writer. She's a singer-songwriter. She was a showrunner, and uh, she's also sister to... Lorraine Newman from SNL, who has also been a guest and is a friend of both of them are a friend of mine. Anyway, hello, 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 um, my, my, my old time listeners and hello, some new listeners here. Very excited about being on this modcast. Uh, I'm a little, uh, confused because I used to be in a little studio in North Hollywood and I am now at my house. <laughs> it's kind of cool. I'm in my back studio, uh, which is this groovy little space. Uh, this kind of studio space here is, uh, well, it's the everything space. I, I meditate in it. We listen to my dad's vinyl collection on the weekends. Uh, I've taught classes here. Um, there's been a lot of partying, but most importantly, what goes on in this room is dancing. We love to dance here. The girls like to, um, you know, shake the ass here. So, um, so, you know, some of you people know me, some of you do don't, who knows, but what I kind of do here is I kind of talk for a little while. And now that I have 90 minutes, I feel like I could take off all my clothes and completely relax right now because it's so luxurious having 90 minutes. I don't have to rush through anything. So I'm going to chat a little bit with myself and these strange thoughts I have all week and kind of what I'm dealing with in life. And then, um, and then today I have my guest, Margaret Cho, which I'm very excited about. She and I I've briefly met each other twice, once at the Mark Twain Prize for my dad and once in the green room earlier this year. And she and I are going to have a nice long conversation about whatever. Uh, so what else? Um, God, okay. So the Smodcast thing, very excited about that. Also, just to let you guys know, if you guys are present subscribers to my podcast, I'm not quite sure what we're doing yet with all of that. You may have to resubscribe. So uh, if you're a fan, please do. Uh, we'd love for you to come over with us to the dark side. No, just kidding. It's not dark in here. I have the lights on. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so here's what I wanted to talk about this week. I've been really thinking about this lately is how um, this whole social media Twitter thing. I love it. As you guys know, if you follow me on Twitter, which uh, by the way, I'm Kelly underscore Carlin. I, I'm like up to 16,000 tweets. It's disgusting. I'm a whore basically. And I've been on the Facebook forever. And I, and I love all of that stuff, but I also notice that I get into this like weird narcissistic space with it. And, and the reason I notice it is because I'm basically someone who practices Zen Buddhism. Uh, you know, I'm not like some sort of a freak about it and I don't have a bald head and I'm not a vegan. I eat bacon, I eat cheeseburgers and all that kind of stuff. But I, I study and I practice this stuff. And a lot of what I've done over the last, oh my God, it's been. 13 years now that I've been doing this, which is crazy. Um, it, one of the things you start to do is you start to get some distance from yourself. You start to, especially when you're meditating, you start to see the self as this separate thing. And the thing that you're witnessing from is what they call the ground of all being, which is kind of the non-dual space. And, and you get unattached to your, to yourself. You know, you see yourself as just this 
thing. You know, it's not like this, you know, end all be all thing. And, and so it's interesting because you, 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 you get, it's literally an, a, a detachment from it. So you're not so, I don't know, uh, bought into all the bullshit, I guess is the best way to say it. You get some nice kind of distance. And, and I, you know, I kind of think about it. It's funny because my dad, he wasn't at all a, a practitioner in any stretch of the imagination. Although he was always asking me, please teach me mindful meditation and everything. But my dad was very OCD and like always had his knee going and always had to you know, go into the next thing. Um, but he had the same kind of detachment, but just from a whole different direction. So I always think of my dad as a Zen master in some ways, because he too had the detachment from the self. And as you know, he completely detached from the species at the end there, which I don't know if I'm ready to do that or not. But um, so I've noticed on the Twitter thing that I every retweet I get, and every like, like, you know, if Ke like, for example, if Kevin Smith, like today, he tweeted something about me, and then it's like five minutes later, I go and check my new followers to see how many new followers I have because it gives me this little adrenaline rush. I'm like, Oh, I mean something. I'm, I'm worthy. I'm, I'm, I'm being seen and heard and people love me and approve of me. And, and really this is, this is the deepest unconscious uh, language I have with myself. It's pretty sad. So um, I, I don't know. I, so I'm, I'm a little torn by it all right now. I'm, I'm feeling like, Although social media has is changing my life because my career has actually been built on this stuff. I mean, really, I've you guys have found me and I have found you and you know that if I'm on Twitter or Facebook with you, we're talking and we're conversing and we're, you know, we're having a good time and we're playing very strange hashtag games on Twitter, which I'm, as you know, become addicted to also. Um, so I love all of that. And so like, you know, as far as like my public self, it's great. And I've also actually gotten real relationships out of it. And, and I've booked people on the green room and on my show and I have friends now, like in real life from it, but I don't think it's helping with this whole path to enlightenment thing. <laughs> I think it's fucking it up a little bit. So, but here's what I know my Zen master, Genpo Roshi. Once again, if you're a new listener, go into my archive. My very first show, I interview my Zen master, Genpo Roshi. I start off with Paul Provenza and Genpo Roshi and my dad on the first show. That pretty much explains my psyche right there to you. Uh, but I know Genpo would say, you have to be able to hold the tension of these opposites at the same time. You have to be able to hold the part of you that is completely thrilled and obsessed with every retweet and every time someone follows you or says something nice. And even the people who attack me on Twitter, you know, I end up blocking them. But isn't it nice of them to spend 30 seconds or a minute of their life to tell me what a piece of shit I am? I, I always find that interesting. Really, you've taken the time to tell me that I suck. If I really suck that much, then why don't you just ignore me? But no. You want to make a statement about it. So I think it's a lot more about you, sir, than it's, it's about me. Oh, person yesterday that I blocked. Anyway, back to Genpo Roshi, my Zen master. He would say, you need to hold the tension of these opposites. Hold on the one hand, the part of you that is completely narcissistic, that loves that the universe spins around you, and that everyone in that said universe loves you forever. And then hold the other side, the other side that is completely detached, is transcendent from this personal self, is not connected, does not have any investment in the narrative or the outcome or anything. 
and to be able to hold those at the very same time. I know it sounds impossible, but it's not. I'm working on it right now. So I will be checking back in with you in the next few weeks because, uh, this is my new project. I, I want to have the Twitter relationship without it being the thing. I, I get so obsessed at times. I know my husband gets mad at me because I get on Twitter at night sometimes and I get going with those hashtag games. He's gotten on Twitter now, by the way, he's Robert H. McCall because, uh, just so he can play the hashtag games because he's actually really smart and funny and he's always telling me what to type. And I'm like, screw you, get your own goddamn account and type it yourself, you know? Um, so anyway, uh, is that what else I wanted to say? Yeah, I think so. What time is it? Let me check the old clockaroo here. Hold on a sec. Oh, we're good. We're 17 after. We got a, we got a couple more minutes. Um, and then we're going to play a song and then we're going to come up with Margaret. Um, what else? Uh, okay. So, hmm. Oh, here's another thing too. Just if you're a new listener, uh, where we are in the studio, this is where I talk a lot about the polymind commune. I just want to let you know, I'm not a cult leader. I really am not. <laughs> I, I'm planning on it though. We are getting t-shirts. I don't know. <laughs> But I have this group of amazing friends uh, that collect here and uh, we have parties every once in a while. And I've just started calling it the Polymine Commune. The Polymine thing is my thing. It's the thing I like. It's uh, it's because I'm a Jungian depth psychologist. I got my master's in psychology. And, uh, and the whole Jung thing is all about the archetypes and the many voices within and the gestalt therapy and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And I know that I am like everyone else out there and you've got 25,000 fucking voices in your head talking to you all day long and they all got different opinions about what's going on. That's the poly mind. But also the poly mind is all of us. We're all part of it here now. We're all so getting that we're so interconnected with everything. I mean, really, uh, the fact that I can, you know, watch the Egyptian uh, uprising on CNN while at the same time reading the tweets from people who are in Tahir Square, while at the same time knowing that my TiVo is DVRing American Idol. <laughs> See, we're all connected. So, you know, it's, it's, it's everybody and everything. Uh, we're going to play, um, right now a little Margaret Cho song. Um, we may end up playing two tracks. We're going to give her a call during, during the song and get her on the line. And so, uh, uh, by the way, Margaret is now doing music. So enjoy this song by Margaret. The first time I saw you, I was in love. Like a was an arrow shot from above I said I don't know what this is But let's keep talking I love grulets And it was walking We're together It's been a while You lost that brightness In your smile You say need to work on you well let me suggest what you can do oh you can eat shit and die Sure. 
How could I think that this would last? I forgave your faults. I forgave your snore. Forgave your interest in tranny hoes. I hung on every word you said. Now my heart is ripped to shreds. I know how to make amends. I am gonna fuck your friends. I put all my dreams on you. Have a bowl of number two.
I'm a friggin' rock star, superhero bitch. Take off my glasses and start to switch. I'll start to spin, the lights will strobe. I am Captain Camel Toe. That was Margaret Cho. That was two songs of Margaret's. One was Eat Shit and Die. The other one was Captain Camel Toad. Hey, Margaret, are you there? I'm here. Oh, fantastic. Uh, everyone, this is Margaret Cho. I, I don't think any introduction is needed. But of course, uh, Margaret Cho, stand-up author, now singer-songwriter, which you've been doing for a while, and of course, actress. Uh, welcome to my little show here, Waking uh, from the American Dream. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Margaret and I are having a typical L.A. moment. Uh, you're about 15 miles away from me. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're doing a phoner, <laughs> which yeah. I just, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, I love it, too. That's great. <laughs> I know. It's easier. And, uh, uh, you know, as we know, who wants to get on the fucking 405 at any time? Of- <laughs> <laughs> well, I get, like, really freaked out. Like, I'm such a hardcore, like, East Sider, like, you know, so if anybody goes, oh, you have to go like any place like west of Fairfax, like I start to like panic about it <laughs> and start thinking about it like a couple of days before, like it's like, oh, it's like, you know, like you get really freaked out. It's really weird. Like, and I've been like kind of an east, I've never ever transitioned to like a west side ever. Like I've never lived um any further west than La Brea, that I think wow. the best. you are a hardcore yeah. insider. Whereas I have been in LA since I was three, since 1966, mm-hmm. and I've always lived on the West Side. So, wow. so basically, anything east of La Brea, I too get a little panicky. My my chest gets a it's little really tight. Like, it's, it's 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 really like it, it's kind of like Romeo and Juliet, or kind of like maybe like um, West Side Story. Yes. You know, there's a kind of like a segregation that happens. Oh, where completely. You're like, I, I belong on my side. Yes, absolutely. Are you? Uh, I mean, for me, I had really bad agoraphobia for ten years and panic attack syndrome. <laughs> Have you ever dealt with anything like that yourself? Um, I am generally like kind of, I think always in a state of panic. So I don't have like a thought per se. I'm just kind of like always like crazy panicking. So I'm not sure exactly what that is called. Um, Life. So I don't have it, like the luxury of like getting it like intermittently. It's sort of like a constant. <laughs> Oh, that's very good. So uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about a bunch of different things. I mean, you know, you and I have met very briefly. We met like passing at the Mark Twain Prize, which I want to yes. thank, thank you again for coming out and doing that. Thank you. What a great, what a great night. I mean, it was such a, an honor to be there and, and to be able to, you know, just to see everyone and then to, you know, to honor your father. And it was like a really special, it was a really special night. Yeah, it was, uh, you could really feel the love in the room that night. Yeah. There was, yeah. yeah. And, and it was cool because, um, 
Shandling was telling me that, you know, you never get to hang out with comics backstage anywhere. And yeah. you guys were all getting to hang out and kind of watch the clips together. And that it was a really mm-hmm. unique moment for him, too, in that way. And we were just, like, laughing, you know. I mean, it was, like, that was funny, too, just to, like, sit there with, like, with Gary and, like, um, Richard Belzer and John Stewart and, and um, Lily and, like, everybody. Mm-hmm. We were just, like, laughing at everybody also going on you know that was really special too yeah yeah absolutely yeah uh and then um and then you and i again met this year uh doing the green room how was that for you getting to do the green room well i love paul and i love all those comics like i mean kamara and then like jeffrey and Mm -hmm. richard are great you know and it's like i know them all in different capacities like it's so it's so funny to like just be able to sit there and talk. And I love Paul's, you know, just take on comics and, you know, he's really our kind of like, he's our anthropologist. Like he's our kind of, you know, archeologist or archivist. Yeah. That's what it is. He's an archivist and he just brings people together and like, you know, really pays attention to the stuff that we don't really care about. Like, like our conversations and our very artful moments together, which I think are very important, but they're lost on us because we're always less like, like listening to the next thing or thinking about the next thing. And, um, so it was a really, it was a nice opportunity to get together with those guys. Yeah. It was, it was really, um, it was, it was fun to watch you. And what really struck me, like one of, like, you know, it was a great show, but what struck me was when Paul was talking to you about when you started doing stand up and how young you were. My God. Yeah. I started really young, but I, I just, um, knew that this was going to be my life. I, and I, 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 I didn't want to be a kid anymore. I felt mm. very powerless as a child and very, I mean, you know, all children are powerless, you know, as they were mm. kids, but mm. I was, um, pretty, you know, disappointed with childhood. And I, I was very, um, yeah, exactly. Well, I, but see at 14 for me, I was, um, so confused, so lost and started, you know, smoking weed basically 24 hours a day and had no sense mm-hmm. of like a, a direction or a voice. You know, I think that's what, I mean, one of the things that you've always inspired in me is like this, per, you're this person who, you know yourself, you know who you are, and you're not afraid to get up there and say, this is who I am. And, and at 14 to even, you know, whatever shape or form you had it at that age, you had something that was like, I'm worthy enough to go and stand up and talk about shit. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know where I got it from. I know all I know is that I didn't really care. Like I just Mm. loved stand up. I loved comedy. I loved everything about it I loved comics I loved that these people would, everybody would stay up really super late and like talk like all we did was just talk and mm-hmm. laugh and you know it's really you know if you take like a show business aspect out of comedy like everything about it is so fun like just hanging out is so fun and it's just been so fun all this time yeah, that's interesting when you say that when you take the showbiz part of it. Because I'm thinking, I mean, since my dad died, I I didn't know comics at all. I didn't hang out with comics. I I mean, I watched some comedy and stuff, but I wasn't at all in the comedy world. Because my dad was who he was and he didn't, 
you know, he had his own kind of way of being in the business and being with other comics and he had relationships, but there wasn't like comics hanging out in our kitchen when I was growing up. But now that I'm a part of this scene and really because of Paul Provenza and, and Rick Overton too, they've really become like brothers to me. Um, I totally get what you're saying. It's like you, you get to have the most funny, fascinating conversations and there's nothing off limits in those conversations. No. And it's like, you just die laughing. Like, and you're just like, <laughs> like to me, it's like, I just like to listen to people talking and I like to just be around that energy of like these amazing, creative, brilliant folks. Like everybody is, you know, and it's yep. like so powerful and, it's so beautiful to just be around it. And, um, you know, and like now, like I kind of don't relate to people unless they're comics. Like I kind of don't understand. I mean, I, I guess I could relate to musicians. That's the closest thing. And I, I think most musicians just want to be comics. So they're kind of the same thing anyway. I have that theory too. I always believe yeah. that rock stars want to be comedians and comedians secretly want to be rock stars. Yes. But then, but comedians don't also don't really want to, do, don't really only want to play song like because I know there's like comedians that really love to play music, but then they always go back to like jokes anyway, and so then their songs <laughs> tend to be jokey. So it, it, I think we could never take ourselves seriously enough to truly be like you know like the rock stars that are, are like real rock stars. You know, it, it's just it's too um, we just can't take ourselves that seriously. Yeah, there's there'd be something so earnest about it that everyone would just probably want to make fun of them or something <laughs> yeah or we, we just want we, we just want to make fun of ourselves but that's the best thing when you can combine like musical ability with that kind of like keen comic view because then then it's really magical i think you know it's something that's really really special yeah and, yeah oh my echo there um listening to your album uh first of all i was like you know you know you're going okay well margaret's got an album this will be inter a music album but I want to tell you, girl, you got some major singing chops. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I grew up around a lot of music, and um, I uh, have been, like, backstage at shows for almost as long as I've been doing comedy. And so, like, I've absorbed a lot doing that. And I, I always knew that I had a great singing voice, and I always knew that music was something that I could probably have also done. But I, I never really wanted to come away from being a comic either. So my my goal was to actually like figure out how to make an album that was really on the cusp of like this has got to be comedy, but it's also like really good music too. Yeah, it is really good music. What is what is the writing and the performing of the music give you that comedy doesn't give you? Um, it just it's it's, it's more like a, a like trying to tell jokes in a time signature. Oh, nice. <laughs> like yes. it's, it's a challenge of telling jokes in a way that um, is, uh, you know, kind of more of a unique kind of a, a, a like a, you know, you, you have to kind of look at it as almost like a math problem. And then mm -hmm. the problem with it, though, is that then you end up getting stuck in that song. You can't change the joke inside the song. Like you <laughs> actually have to, you're stuck, you're married to that joke and that song forever. Yeah, you know, so it's not as it's not as easy as like being a comic where you can take like a joke and then you could do uh, do another joke or whatever. Like you can tag it in a different way and like approach it in a different way. Um, you know, and to me, like I'm always about like re really writing something again and doing something again, and and so that's why it's like in a way a little bit limiting, but it's harder to do to do with a comedy song. 
Well, it, I, I love that, like the thing about the form of it, you know, like the more it's like on Twitter, I've learned, uh, I never did. I've never done stand up comedy. And it's not something I, I've ever really wanted to do. Although I do storytelling, and I do love being on a stage and getting to have my say. <laughs> I do like yeah, that part yeah. of it. But I don't I don't do the stand up part. And my dad actually forbade me from it. He's like, I don't want you in that lifestyle. It's crazy. But on Twitter, because of the 140 characters, I have learned to write inside the form in such a way to make a joke out of 140 mm. characters. And I yeah. and it's interesting, I've trained my brain to do that. That's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Because then like, you, you get it, it's almost like a haiku, or mm-hmm. I mean, you get into like the rhythm of it, and then you can be concise. Um, and that's really great. Like when, um, like you, you, you can learn like, or teach yourself to do that. And, and I think that's what's great. What's great about Twitter is that we can like actually like fit these complete thoughts in a very short sentence. Yeah. And, and it, and it appreciates the, the rhythm and the importance of rhythm and language in comedy, you know, which is really what, yeah, exactly. And that it's, it's a twist of a logic. It's a wording, it's a rhythm, it's a bounce. And, and it's, it is, it is like a little math problem. It's, it is really um, just, I've been, I was talking earlier before you got on about my obsession with Twitter. So that's part of my obsession with it is I get to, yeah, you're really great. You're really great. You do the great tweets and really funny and really like, I mean, you're really on it, which is really cool. It's like, I always forget to tweet for like days and days. And then I'm like, oh, I got to do this. I always, I mean, you're, you're so on it. That's great. Well, you have, you have a life and I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? I mean? It's like, we, well, I mean, you know, part of that life is like tweeting, you know, it's it like, is, that's yeah. a major part of life and it should be, but it's like, I totally will like forget and not do it. And I, I hate, I hate that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you kind of get a Well, that's part of what I was talking about earlier was kind of this relationship I built with it. Part of it is unhealthy, because I was saying like, like today, this is Oh, by the way, this is the premiere of my show on Kevin Smith's um, network on his Smodcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so you're my first guest on the Smodcast okay. network. So we're thrilled to have you. And I was saying that Kevin tweeted something earlier today. Now, Kevin has get this 1.8 million followers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when he tweets something and puts your name in it, you get a bunch of followers from it. And, yeah, yeah. and so I was talking earlier about the narcissistic part of me that like immediately starts to check my new followers. Like how many new followers do I have? Because Kevin just <laughs> <laughs> So the, so I know. So this is like the sicker part of my mind. But you know, I've kind of watch it and just I've been appreciating it. And that's what I was talking about earlier about how I'm trying to be, you know, a little more detached from it all, but also appreciating my narcissistic self. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of followers. I don't think I know anybody with that many followers. That's like, uh, yeah, that's like, like, I, I like Ashton Kutcher or something. Yeah, totally. That's like Justin Bieber territory or something. It's Yeah, that's a huge amount. I mean, that's great. I mean, he's great. So that's cool. But like, I, I don't, I don't know, like how people get that many followers. I guess if they, you know, just, you know, get everyone super famous and then they just tweet all the time. That's probably how I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And and everywhere they go, they tell people, follow me or something. I, I don't know. I've, but it's, it's a, it's a definitely an interesting process. Um, and, it, and it's kind of this weird thing because it is partly, um, like the business part of it. And at the same time, it's a real personal relationship because I talk to people on Twitter. I don't just put things out there and then ignore the people who talk to me back, you know? So it's, Oh yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's a, a big part of it. I, I talk to people like, um, like I talk to people that I'm friends with. Like I talked to like this, um, 
because I've always like talking to tattoo artists on there. <laughs> like that's been this whole this whole week I've been talking to a lot of tattoo artists mm. and and visual artists and you know that's the other kind of other group of friends that I have are you know people who do that. Mm. So um, or comics. Um, you know that's the majority of like people that I yeah. I'm, like talk to. Yeah, me too. Lots of comics on there. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I I was wondering. I was I have your book. Um, the uh oh god i i will stay and i'm oh god i've chosen to stay invite yes, yes yes thank you and uh i was looking through it and i saw that you had written a letter to richard pryor mm-hmm. and i just thought that was so beautiful could you just share with me a little bit about like what who you know who is richard pryor for you and like what what is what is that inspiration for you what did he do for you what you know what did he offer I think you he just um made comedy something that was like he he like I think he like broke ground where I saw my path. Like I could actually like figure out how the stuff that I was thinking could make it onto the stage. Like mm. the stuff that I was thinking and feeling had validity in his world. Like, and I um, grew up watching his movies. My dad was a big fan and my dad and I would watch his movies together. And that was like this, like, like one moment where I would be able to like be with my father and we'd enjoy something together. And that was really powerful. And so I, I think, um, a lot of it is really that I felt, um, I identified with Richard Pryor. Like I felt like Mm. I understand that, that point of view and that perspective. And I, I want to do that. I want to do what he does. And I also like wanted to make films. Like I wanted to make like stand up comedy movies, like give the art form, the, the, um, gravitas for that, you know, to make movies. And that, that's something that, um, I did because he did. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I'm just always blown away by him still, you know, so many years yeah. after his death, like I'm still listening to him. I'm still like just dying over like his stuff. Like it's, it's powerful. Like he, he was a really great guy. Like I met him very near the end, mm-hmm. um, you know, of his life. And it was just really, it, it, it was just a really hard moment you know to see somebody that was so great who you know who wasn't able to do what he was doing before you know so that was like hard too like I it sort of made me realize the fragility of the human body and and how we have a limited time to kind of do what we wanted and say what we want in the way that we want um but he was great yeah I you know his um his stuff was so different from my dad's you know because because Richard could really Man, he just poured it out on the fucking stage and just said, "Here it is. Here is every bit of humanity of me here." And uh, yeah, you know that it's interesting. I have you seen Bill Hicks' documentary, The American uh, Document? Oh, yes. Yeah, and I. It's funny because I'd probably seen a couple of clips of Bill Hicks, but I wasn't really tuned into him for some reason. Um, you know, whatever life and whatever. And I, I don't, I don't really follow comedians closely. And, um, and then I saw that documentary and it was interesting for me because of Bill and his, he's got this real seeking mind, which I do. I have a very spiritual seeking mind. I, you know, yeah. I've been a Zen practicing Zen Buddhism for 13 years. And before that, it was every new age thing you could imagine. But when That's I saw, cool. and when I saw Bill Hicks thing though, I thought, like uh, my dad inspired me in one way, but Bill, I could relate to. Like for me, it was like, oh, there's a door that I could enter as a yeah. mon- as a humorist and a monologist and get on stage and and it's kind of what I do with my storytelling already. And it was like for me, it was like 
that thing when you see someone else who kind of vibrates like you or looks like you and you and like you were saying it's like oh there's a path there is a path for me right like it makes sense when you when you well yeah like Bill was Bill was really influential for me I were I opened with well I've opened for him a bunch when I was really young wow you know and he was so I saw him in so many different ways you know and you know like I see him do real well I see him do real bad like I see him like all different kinds of situations and it like really taught me that like you don't have to lose yourself in the audience you don't have to like go into the crowd and care like about what they're feeling or thinking like you don't have to comment on how you're doing Mm. ever ever. like because it really does no bearing on what you're saying like it's like if you whether you're killing or you're bombing it has no bearing on the message it's always going to be the same and that's what was so great about bill is like he's just like i'm here i i'm going to tell you what i'm going to think and what i'm thinking and that's it and it, you know, your, your response is not important. That's the best thing. <laughs> well, and that's huge. I mean, uh, because I mean, for me, I'm one of those people that grew up like, you know, please love me. And am I okay? And am I doing okay? And please reflect back to me that I'm okay. And just now in my 40s, I'm just starting to connect with that part of myself where it's like, I don't give a shit what people think about me. And, and I do have something to say and I need to say it. And, and, and when I look at you, absolutely, Margaret, that's what I see on stage. It's like, you like, I got shit to say and I'm going to be up here saying it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I feel like, you know, the audience has to honor the social contract that we sign when we walk in the room. It's like, I'm the performer, you're the audience. We have signed the social contract that this is going to happen. I'm going to talk and you're going to listen. And that's all you have to do. You don't have to laugh. You don't have to respond to me in any way other than sit there. <laughs> like, and that, that to me is like the most important thing, like in any comedy club or, or theater or wherever we perform, like it's like we have agreed upon this social contract that is as binding as time is a mm. social contract. Mm. It's as binding as just anything like we've agreed on, like these ideas of race or identity, anything. This is just as important all those things. You right. know, it's like, this is a social contract. You must honor it. And that's all I care about, you know, um, and I'm into it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just, I'm so curious in this day where like there is more social media and talking back, have you found that audiences want to participate more? <laughs> Um, I think it depends, like, you know, they do really, like, in the United Kingdom, where I work a lot lately, they do really want to participate. They kind of don't understand the show unless they're uh, somehow a part of it. That's why in, like, England, there's a lot of crowd work. Mm. There's a lot of, like, um, popularity with, like, improv mm. and stuff. I think um, there, it, it, I think in, in that society, there is a sense of entitlement among the people, that like if we're gonna go see something, we have to be participating in it. Interesting. And so you know that's why there's such a sense of pride in the theater because it's like that's where it comes from, and you know it's like they love Shakespeare because it's who we are, and mm. and that you know and their comedy is it, it's kind of got to be reflexive of the moment or else they don't feel like it exists somehow. So it's a very very weird thing that that's very very popular there where I. I think myself and, you know, most comics here would look at crowd work and, be, and being that's kind of hacky. Yes, yes. 
you know, but there it's, it's quite a refined art form. Yeah, that's what, it's interesting because I know you were at the uh, Fringe Festival and, and Paul and Barbara were there, Paul Provenza and, and Barbara Roman were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and they were saying that there's a different appreciation of the art form of comedy there, that, that there's a, there's just a different way that the UK audiences look at the art form of comedy and, and comics themselves. And, and, and it, there's a, it's like a different flavor than, than America. And I, I haven't, I haven't been there to experience it yet, but I, I was curious about your, your experience about it. So yeah. Well, I think that's why Setlist, which was a Paul's show there, which is where they make up, you know, they make up the comedy, like on the spot, you get a Setlist yep. and then you have to make up comedy. And that was the hottest show yep. at the festival. And I mean, it was such a huge hit because that tapped into exactly what um, British audiences, uh, Scottish audiences, what they are looking for in terms of the immediacy of comedy. They want to see your ability right then and to just prove it <laughs> yes. to them right yeah. then. And, um, and so that, you know, that, that is its own animal, you know, that's its own kind of thing. And, and, um, you know, like I want to go over there because I want them to like appreciate, well, you need to appreciate this, this like idea of like women in comedy. You need to understand women's point of view. You mm-hmm. need to understand people of color, you need to understand, like, I want to, like, make them, like, break down their system for them, and that's why I think my shows are popular, because I'm very critical yeah. of who they are, which I think is something that they're not used to, especially from women, because women in comedy, they are not, um, they're, they're not given any kind of due, you know, it's mm. very difficult for women in comedy in England. Hmm very it's a it's a totally like I, I always thought it was tough here for women but there it's like almost impossible yeah and, and that doesn't surprise me in some way just because of it's so traditional white male there <laughs> i mean it is like yeah. it's the beginning like of white beyond sexism or something or they're beyond racism and and they're mm-hmm. they're behind and it's really weird but i think that's why there's a demand for me to go out there because there's a lot of people who want a different perspective. I, I'm sure. Absolutely. That, yeah, diversity really isn't, I mean, that's America's thing is diversity, even though we're still having issues with it, clearly. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but, you know, I had this, I was uh, walking the other day and I was, listening, I don't know what I was listening to, something about um, theater and, and, I was thinking about this, you know, you know, theater in the Greek days was like um, this cathartic ritual experience and people came and had this experience and people still do. And I, and I was really thinking about the whole comedy thing. Like when people come to a comedy show, like what is it that they are wanting transformed? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, What's the, you know, it's because, you know, you go to theater and you laugh and you cry and all of that. And, 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 and there's something that you do, especially, you know, that like you were saying, like you, you come on really strong for this, for this point of view. And it's, and it's this outsider point of view. And, and I was, and I mean, I mean, I could be totally full of shit, but I was thinking about like how important your role is in a way of saying to people, I'm here and I'm, I say I count, even though the culture is not completely signed up for that. And therefore, you know, we all count in some ways. Yeah. And I think that's, that's going to be the eternal message. Uh, You know, it's, it's like to me, like, well, the reason I go see, like I go see comedy all the time and I love it. And like, I, I go see it because I want to feel like transformed and, you know, kind of like, um, it's an escape, but it's also, uh, where I can, like, my body can react to something. Mm-hmm. And, 
and I can feel like changed. Like, um, and that to me is, is more valuable than other entertainment. Nothing can get to me like comedy can get to me. Like if I'm laughing at a comic, like I can barely breathe, you know, <laughs> like I went to go see Neil Hamburger. I did a show with him on Sunday and I was watching him and I was dying. Like I couldn't even stand up and all of us in the audience and it was me and um, Tim Heidecker and like all these other like great, great, great funny people. And we were just like, couldn't even get up. We were laughing so hard. And <laughs> that is like something you can't get at any other show. Like yeah. I don't, theater's never done that to me or movies have never done that to me or um, like music has never done that to me. I, I just am so moved and it's almost religious. And, mm-hmm. you know, I want to bring my own um, point of view to that. And, you know, mine is really about like a kind of like, voices that isn't represented but I can do the same thing like I could physically make you feel this even though you you might not assume somebody like me can do that hmm. Hmm. yeah I I, I, I yeah <laughs> I <like> that. <laughs> that's yeah that's really well I'm just like having this epiphany here about that what you just said because that is it's like it's like you may, you may, you know, worst case scenario, you may see me, you may not even see me. I may be normally invisible to you. Right. Or other extreme is you have a really negative attitude about me and, and yeah. you've put me in a box and yet I'm going to make you, I'm going to make your body spontaneously react in a way that your conscious mind has nothing, no control over. <laughs> Yeah, I love. And you'll you'll think about it for days and days, and I'll mm. get you again. Like that thing about comedy is like you know the jokes when you when you think about them later, they get you again. Yeah, like they get you again and again. Like a comic has such a hold on the audience member's psyche. Like if we can really make somebody laugh, they, we will make them laugh forever. Whenever they think about what we said, well, <laughs> like it, you will it, always have that in you, and it, that's a great power. Yeah, and it, it and it is a true power because I'm sure you're. I mean, you're familiar with your own fans, but I know just being inter- interacting with my dad's fans these days, which I've become the receiver of the George Carlin love. Like I get mm-hmm. like that's part of my job in the world is to receive his love. But when people come up to me or, you know, or send me something on Facebook or whatever and say, you know, your father changed my life. He changed my thinking about things permanently. I'm always so touched by that and and also just in awe of the power of this art form to do that. Yeah. It's a great it's a great power and it's a it's a it's an awesome power to wield and it's actually mm-hmm. something that um probably can't do that much evil really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, the people quote unquote that we think as evil, they're not very funny. <laughs> I mean, like, you think about, like, people like Glenn Beck, who is not funny. I mean, it's just, if he was funny, it would actually be pretty murderous. But because the nature of comedy is a kind of a, it's kind of a a soulful, compassionate, progressive. Yeah. You know, it's everything that your dad embodied. And, and, you know, the time when he was doing comedy, too, was so vitally important and, and, and really kind of formed the idea of the art form as well. Absolutely. So. Yeah, it's just like it, it, it's something that can't really do a lot of evil because we've never seen a truly <laughs> funny, really evil. <laughs> I'm like right now trying to picture Hitler doing stand up or something. Like that. <laughs> That's funny. 
it's just, it's just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. The two things will not go together. Well, I mean, even somebody like who's brilliant, who's super conservative, like Dennis Miller, I'm like, oh, that's so weird that like he is conservative now because the, 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 um, the, the comedy that I used to love and his, words i yeah i can't i can't laugh at it as much anymore i'm like i know you lost your ability in the in the way that you kind of lost the sort of soul that you had before like i don't understand i i think you know i think you're really onto something there about the compassion part of this that that you have to have a love of humanity in mm-hmm. in in order to offer this stuff up and that if you're i mean even comics who are strident like my dad i mean my dad at the end was strident he mm-hmm. was considered the grumpy old man in the anger but that's because his heart was broken and yeah. and because he really loved us so much that he wanted to wake us all up and right. and ultimately change i mean i busted him on this you know he was like oh i'm detached from the species and it's circling the drain and i'm like you know dad if you really didn't care, I'm not quite sure what you're doing on a stage then. Yeah. 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 So there is, I mean, Rick Overton and I talk about this a lot because, you know, Rick is such a passionate person for, you know, humanity and progressive politics and stuff. And he just, he so talks about the importance of the love and the compassion that comes from b- behind the comedy and, and the power yeah. of that, because that really is the power to transform people. Well, I love Rick too because the, he is so loving, and then he is also the silliest, like the silliest, most light-hearted, joyous, funny. Like, and he'll do anything, you know. And yep. and it's so precious and beautiful. He's such a. He's like one of one of the like the senseis. Like he's like one of those masters. <laughs> yeah. Like the, there's a few p- people that are walking around. They're like real masters, and and Rick is certainly one. I I absolutely agree. I think he's one of the most underappreciated comics right now. Like people don't people knew him back in the day when he was, but he is the comics comic too because he constructs jokes like no one I know. He's amazing, absolutely amazing. He's amazing and and so so imaginative and and just such a beautiful guy. I mean, yeah, I just I love him for so many different reasons. I mean, as a friend also, yeah. but somebody I've looked up to for my entire career, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's become a brother to me, which is, which is really great. Well, I think That's what we're going to do right now is we're going to play a clip from uh, your beautiful show. And then, um, and then we're going to come back and I want to talk to you about uh, being a woman and, you know, some of the stuff that we talk about being, you know, bisexual and outsider and Asian and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Cool. I am so pretty. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm really into complimenting myself, and I think you should do the same. Because I can see you, and you are gorgeous. All of you are beautiful. And, you know, we got to compliment ourselves, because we get enough shit in the world. Like, I, I did this radio show, and the DJ asked me, what if you woke up tomorrow, and you were beautiful? He said, what if you woke up and you were blonde and you had blue eyes and you were five foot 11 and you weighed a hundred pounds and you were beautiful? What would you do? And I said, well, I probably wouldn't get up 
because I'd be too weak to stand. <laughs> and I felt very sorry for him because if that's the only kind of person that you think is beautiful, you must not see very much beauty at all in the world. And yeah. And I think everybody is beautiful. And if you don't think that I'm beautiful, you are missing out because I am so beautiful. For real though. Oh, hell yes. I think it's very important to feel beautiful. I think it's very political to feel beautiful, especially if you're queer. Because if you're queer, you have to take on the world every single day of your life. So you have to feel beautiful to survive. And you are so beautiful. And what I want to do for you is sing you a song. You can. That was Margaret Cho doing her piece, Beautiful, from her show, Beautiful. Uh, this is Kelly Carlin on Waking from the American Dream on Smodcast.com. So um, I just, I love, well, first of all, I can't believe that fucking DJ said that to you. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. But you know what? It's so, like, typical of, like, the kind of thing, like, it's kind of that, like, morning DJ trying to be real. <laughs> yeah. The, oh. like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give know. her the deep question now. Like, trying to act like, you know, like, when people are just, like, outright mean to you, but they're just trying to be, like, real. Like, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm going to tell it like it is. Like, people that are going to tell it like it is. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, but uh, I I just, I, your response is, is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> so I, I wanted, you know, being a woman myself and having to deal with, I mean, my own body issues and eating and clothes. And now that I'm in my 40s, I'm quote unquote, in my midlife and all of that. I mean, I've, it's, you know, it's taken me years to figure out, do I want to be the beautiful girl or the funny, smart girl? And to even get that it's okay to be both. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew I grew up in this town in LA. And um, I hated women most of my early life, because women chose to be the plasticky Barbie, um, weak, you know, kind of thing. And I just like, I don't, if that's what being beautiful means, I don't want to be it. You know, there's, yeah, it's, it's so fucking confusing out there. I know it's really hard. And, but like when I, I feel like, yeah, now that I'm older, like I really, I get it. Like I go, Oh, you can be all of it. You don't have to choose and you don't have to have other people choose. You can actually like step into all of the different possibilities of being a woman. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, my, my friend, Wendy Hammers, um, she's doing this show right now called ripe. And she talks about her best, well, her best friend was Judy Toll, the comedian. And oh, yeah, she's great. Judy, I, I, Judy was, she was great. Yeah. I, can't believe she, I still don't think like, I still think I can't believe she's dead. Like that's really I weird. I know. I know. And, and Wendy was very close to her and, was sitting at her memorial or they were sitting shoal or something like that. And, you know, Wendy's, you know, she's been like an overeaters her whole life. And she's one of those girls that has a, a naturally beautiful, big, bodacious butt and always was trying to get rid of it. And, you know, it's all sorts of eating disorders. And she realized that 
after all these years that, you know, her body was healthy and that Mm -hmm. she was alive. And it was the first time she ever said to herself, my body is perfect. Mm. Yeah. And that's that's, great. Yeah. And it's, that's a really fucking steep hill for most people, especially women. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's really hard to get there because like, we just put so many conditions on our love for ourselves, you know? Yeah. And, and that's really a horrible thing, like to make it so conditional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we, and you know, of course the media, we're, we're getting these messages all day long, which doesn't help, you know? So I know. And it, yeah, for like, I mean, for me, like the, the freedom of like just being able to, say that I'm beautiful as I am is such a huge one. Like that's a, a major emancipation. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm just so free from so much judgment. And, and I mean, cause I think when you're smart too, you can really do a number on yourself, like criticizing yourself because we're, we're like brainy people. So we're using our own strength against ourselves <laughs> and our bodies. And it's horrible. Like I, yeah. I hate that, you know, like I don't want to do that to myself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to, to be able to really get that, you know, when we say these things secretly to ourselves, or, or when we finally hear the self-talk, I mean, that's a whole, no- that's like level number one It's just the self-awareness of, you know, that you really are on some level saying to yourself something like, you know, oh, I'm a piece of shit, or I'm an ugly pig, or whatever it is. I mean, and, and to start to hear that self talk. And I remember the first time I heard, like, really got that I was thinking these things about myself, I thought, I wouldn't even say that to someone I hated. I mean, that's just not who I am, let alone to myself. Yeah, I mean, it's like, once we can treat ourselves with just, you know, what we would do for other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's like just with some consideration, some kindness, it really, it makes a huge difference, but it is, it's really hard. It's really hard because you're always having to think about it. And I mean, you know, I, I, I just, uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, I just felt <laughs> like so depressed about um, just not feeling right and not feeling good enough and not feeling thin enough or pretty enough or young enough or whatever yep. it was, you know, it's just a, too much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you certainly had that wonderful experience with network television where, you know, no matter who you were, you weren't what they wanted. So just yeah, name like the category. Matter. Yeah. Yeah. Name the category. <laughs> It's so, it was so hard because, you know, it's like, they were like, oh, you're too fat, you're too Asian, you're not Asian enough. And, then, <laughs> you know, it's like really like, I don't know how to deal with this other than kind of self-destruct, which I had to do for a while yeah. in order to um, kind of deal with it. But what, what it did do, like being rejected from like mainstream television helped me really dive into stand-up comedy, which I'm so grateful that I did and I'm still doing, you know, and I, I go in deeper and deeper every time I go back on stage. Like I, I love it so much more than I even did when I started and I was obsessed with it when I started. So mm. it's really, it's a good thing. Well, and you know, there's that thing about being rejected by the mainstream and it's like after, you know, at that point you can see the insanity level that they're in. And yeah. I can only imagine the freedom that gave you then. It was like, well, they're crazy. And that's what I've been or, or some part of me wanted to strive to and get to and fit myself in that fucking little box of theirs. 
And mm-hmm. and now you see the absurdity of it all and being able to, um, oh, I just like, right now I'm just like feeling the freedom in my body just thinking yeah. about that. Good. <laughs> yeah, because there's, you know, there's a box. I mean, I'm like, you know, okay, Irish, Scotch, English, white girl, West Side, grew up middle class, you know, daddy was famous, all that kind of stuff. And yet, um, I've never felt like part of the mainstream, even though on the outside, I probably look like it. And, and even though, you know, my dad's George Carlin, and he certainly wasn't the insider guy. But, you know, in some ways, we were we had BMWs and Mercedes Benzes in the driveway. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mom, mom liked to shop at Fred Siegel. What can I say? Oh. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but but there there is that thing of that, like, no matter what box it is, there's always some fucking box you think you need to fit in and it's a self-torture it is and i think actually it's just like a human experience i think we're actually all outsiders and that's really the the truth of it is that everybody feels that way and that's why comedy is such an important art form because it's an outsider art form and it really is for everyone that's a very democratizing thing yep and um so you know that that's why i love doing it that's why i love like really constant like constantly doing it like i'll do like two shows a day like i wow. so into it like i'm so crazy into it like i i don't know like what it is but i just feel so much freer now than i ever have mm, that's beautiful good for you yeah it's good yay <laughs> <laughs> i was really struck when i was reading your uh reading your book because you've got this great kind of um and you know being like a zen buddhist person i'm always into these dualities plus i'm a jungian just so you know i have my master's in jungian psychology so oh, cool. that's great yeah so i'm really like juicy love all that kind of stuff and i just loved and was fascinated by these the juxtaposition of this first of all this fierce photograph on the top i mean on the front where you know you look like patty hurst in the outfit and the <laughs> with the <laughs> microphone is the gun you know so there's the rebel kind of energy in you and there's a lot of fight and there's fight in the you know and all of that and yet in the book you talk so much about love and loving your enemies and wanting to love them and engage them and i you know right now you know, when you can turn on anything, social media, big media, mainstream media, whatever it is, and it's so divisive right now. And, and it's so, um, it just fills me with such despair when I see all of that. When I, when I just see the the whole world is just screaming at each other right now and no one's engaging. No, I think it's because of the internet, because it's like, we're so separated now. It's just us and like these, like, little white boxes that we're like typing all this like rage into yeah and nobody really connects or talks or like or can like look each other in the eye like there's no like actual physical like connection yeah. and and to these ideas and it's just these points of view that are really disparate and like um it, it's so uh we're not connecting with each other we're connecting with these machines Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, and there's this anonymous aspect to it. It's like, yeah, my name is here on Facebook, but, you know, I can just kind of, uh, you know, slam this point of view and then walk away from my computer and not have to engage. And it's, it's interesting. One of the things that I, um, I do is I run a group on Facebook called the official George Carlin fan page group. And there's like, you have to be in, you know, I have to okay you to come in. And so people who are George Carlin fans have a lot of opinions. (laughs) 
(laughs) And they're not afraid of them. And so people engage in them. And there's a lot of conspiracy theorists, people too, which come in and and they kind of blast the page with things and then people blast them back. And there's a lot of back and forth. And sometimes it gets really, really nasty. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what I want to, what I try to do in the group and which has been kind of like this neat little social experiment for me, actually, is I say to them, look, you can write anything you want and be as provocative as you want here. But let's try to actually hold a conversation about it. You know, that if you have a strong point of view, that's, that's fine. But why don't you write it in such a way that it's actually an inquiry that kind of opens a door into your thinking or lets other people mirror their thinking back so that we can actually engage on some level here. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I, and it's, you know, I, I kind of have this, um, I don't know, I guess it's kind of the, in, in some ways for me, dialogue is fascinating and conversation, you know, that I, I, mm-hmm. I, I love being a performer on stage and I, I love having the stage and yes, this is my space, but I really believe that like you were saying, you know, until we like start really looking each other in the eye again and maybe holding each other's hands and getting that we're all humans here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what the fuck is going to happen in this country. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like we, ha- we need to just like really come together and just like really acknowledge that we're just human beings. I mean, that's like, you know, no matter what our opinions are or whatever, like we're mad about what is going on. It's like, we're just human beings you know and that's why i don't like when they when people say like something is like a flyover state mm-hmm. like just a bunch of fucking people like it's like <laughs> you know yeah. i think that i think my perception a little bit is also informed by like part of the year i live in um the deep south mm-hmm. and i i'm like in i was living in peachtree city georgia because so i was working on a tv show called dropped a d out there and it was like all it was, that is the southern <laughs> capital of the tea party Wow. And the people are so nice. Yes. Like, I feel so bad. Like, you know, like, I want to shit on them and be like, oh, my God, these people are, like, racist, stupid, horrible. But they're, they're, people are, like, kind. They will go out of their, their way to be kind to you and, like, talk to you about stuff and, like, really nice. But then they hate gay marriage. Like, really nice. But they're just, they're, you know really like really racist i mean that you know that 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 there is like so many aspects to the human being that we don't really like understand it's just like i i know like it's it's so weird to to like kind of embrace people like that i mean i don't condone what they believe but i acknowledge their humanity yeah yeah well and and yeah i mean people are complex and people are kind i mean i talk a lot about this a lot on the show here that there's these kind of different levels of thinking and, and the traditional level, you know, the people who are in traditional kind of mindsets, which is what you're talking about, you know, and this is the Christian and this is the conservative right wing, you know, it's one God and one country and flag means everything. And there's only one truth and they haven't kind of come into the postmodern perspective, which you completely embody, Margaret. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, 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 you're multiple everything and you're everyone at the same time. And that's very postmodern. And it's, there is almost like an inability between these two kind of points of view to even see each, recognize each other. And it is hard to hold the other as, as a human. It takes a real leap of faith in some way to believe that the person who, you know, wants to stand against your own civil rights on some level and, and oppress you is a person who gets up in the morning and actually wants the best for their children too. Right. And I think, 
it's like they fight so hard and they are so mean and angry about it because they, they're afraid that they're disappearing. And yes. then they're afraid yes. that they're not going to exist anymore if they don't have this anger and control. Yep. Yep. And, um, and that's really sad. Yeah. And it's, it's a great point, you know, because, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, they think there's going to be like just pure anarchy or something. And, and I, I was it? I think I read something in an um, interview you did recently. I think it was even today. It came out today, but that, that they were actually, someone was wanting to put atheists on some kind of a list. Um, mm-hmm. that, yeah, like, you know, to put, to, to, you know, <laughs> like, like if you're an atheist, you need to be on a list. Like you're not Christian. Yeah. And it's because they, they don't, they have no concept that people who don't believe in a personal God or a Christian God, um, or any kind of a God, uh, could have values, could have morals. Yeah. Or, you know, it did, like they're, they're like, there's like this, this fear around that kind of thinking or fear around like somebody that doesn't believe what they believe so much that, you know, it's like they've got to control it and that, that kind of control. That's where like you get, you, you get into problems. Like just let people be who they are. You know, why don't you just let people like exist? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, yeah, because, you know, like from a psychological point of view, it's like, well, because they fear that inside of them. They think that like they, they fear their own chaos. I really believe right. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if they don't have this like law in place, like if they don't have a law against gay marriage in place, then there's nothing that's going to be able to stop them from marrying somebody of the same sex. Like that they yeah. need a law in place. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to do it. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. It's all that outside in kind of stuff. As long as there's rules. And of course we know that it's the most, uh, the hypocrisy of it, because those are the people that all their shadows are like leaking out left and right. And then yeah. you, you get the Congressman, you know, tapping his foot in the bathroom. <laughs> I know. And that's where you get like, you know, like all of these like Republican senators who are like posting like Craigslist ads or answering <laughs> Craigslist ads. Like it's like, you know, like, why don't you just be who you are? You know, they, they are the ones that are responsible for all anti-gay legislation. That's why I'm scared about Rick Perry. Yep. Rick Perry, who is, um, you know, people have been talking about his closeted homosexuality for 25 years, mm. you know, and it's like, if he is elected, that's going to be the most homophobic yeah. president we've ever had. That'll be the most that'll be the worst thing for the gay community. And it's just a really scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping like right now as, as of today, the establishment, the right wing establishment is pretty unsatisfied with him. So, you yeah, know, that's it's like when I actually want the establishment to have a little control because I want these whack jobs to get like reined in and pushed aside so that the, the white toast Romney can step forward, <laughs> who I'm, I'm not thrilled about, but at least he's not fucking Michelle Bachman, you know, with the crazy eyes kind of a thing. It's, it's. Well, I mean, yeah, but if they think they what they do is they introduce these crazy people so that they can make somebody mm. like Mitt Romney totally palatable. That's like very they true. Bring out the crazies first. It's like, you want this? You want some of this? Oh, I guess not. Well, how about this? Like they try to like trick you oh, man. into like something really super extreme. And then they go, Oh, you go, Oh, no, 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 that this is better this is better like right he's still gonna screw us all but he he's he, he's not spouting uh you know <laughs> he's not reading directly from the bible today yeah like you know he's not talking about like witchcraft or like you right, know like, like right. crazy crazy weird shit like it's just it's evil too yeah it's evil too it's, it's just that their tactics for you yeah <laughs> it's, it. it's extremely cynical <laughs> truly yeah um we have a few more minutes here just uh just like your broad kind of like, where do you think the planet's going to be in a hundred years? I don't know. You know, I, I feel like, um, 
it's the, I think it, 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 I think it's like the, the weirdest thing. Like, you know, like, I think it's going to like actually kind of be the same. Like, I feel like we're kind of in this weird stasis and, and we've sort of been like that for a while. Like, I think it's ever since sort of the internet was invented, like that sort of kind of just been in that. We've sort of just been sort of post 9-11 since 9-11. Like it's Mm. been real, like kind of the same since then, like chaotic and information's everywhere and everybody knows about everything right away. I feel like we're going to just sort of stay in that forever. We may have cooler iPhones, like iPhone 20 or 25 will be out and We'll have like cooler, it'll, like it'll shit, be, but it'll in be, general, it'll be the same. Yeah, the iPhone will be like completely injected in our bloodstream. It'll be something weird yeah. shit like that. Yeah. So, yeah, there'll be like weird shit about it, but at the same time, it'll still, like be still like kind of branding. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, this, this whole, like, I think, I think we're going to stay in kind of the same place. Um, I imagine. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, it's something I think about a lot these days. Like, really, where's, like, where are we going to be in a hundred years? It's, it's, you know, they, that old curse that they used to say, may you live in interesting times. It's like, wow, man, we really, interesting is just scrapes the surface of it at this <laughs> point. <laughs> but I feel, you know, it's like, I, I'm kind of like that. Like, I think about my problems and I think I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the same shit that I was thinking about 20 years ago. Like, I'm still kind of, in the, in the same kind of mindset, you know, and so I realized I didn't really change that much. Not really. A little bit, but not, not really. <laughs> yeah. So how could really the planet change that much? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Unless we run out of water or something freaky like that, but we don't go there right now. Yeah. Uh, Mar- <laughs> Margaret, I want to thank you so much for, for coming and, um, being here and spending some time with me. I, I'm a huge fan and, uh, what can I say? It's uh, great Thank to talk you. to you, a, a powerful, so smart woman. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll see you around somewhere. I hope so. All right, darling. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. So um, that is Ms. Margaret Cho, the fabulous. Um, so I'm just going to wrap up the show here a little bit and uh, then we'll play some music out. Um so, uh, wow. Wow. Well, first of all, I just want to say, oh, it's so nice to have an hour with my guests and talk to them before I was squeezing it all into like 35 minutes. And it's kind of like in the halfway point, you start to get rolling with them and you start to gel personality wise and you can kind of trust each other and, and go to that other level. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, and, and Margaret is just such an amazing person. I want to tell you a little bit about um, my guests coming up in the next four weeks. Uh, next week, I have David Feldman, uh, who's an Emmy Award winning writer. Um, he used to write uh, for Dennis Miller, I believe, actually, when he won his Emmy. And he's also known, quote unquote, as the failed comedian. So we'll talk about that. And uh, you can check out his weekly show on kpfk.org. He's very funny, very smart. And you should follow him on Facebook and Twitter. He's a very snarky, insane, and uh, one of the funniest people I know. And then the week after that, on October 13th, I'm having a really kind of unusual guest for me. His name is Nile Rogers. If you're in the music business and you know who this man is, Nile Rogers is a huge music producer. Oh, I don't know. He only produced like Madonna's Like a Virgin album and David Bowie and Diana Ross. And I, I mean, literally, I could name 20 of the biggest musicians in the last 
freaking 30 years. He was also um, in the original band Chic. You know, remember? La Fique. C'est Chic. <laughs> From the disco days. Uh, and he has been recently battling prostate cancer. So he's got this amazing, fascinating life. And he's got a book coming out. So he's going to be my guest. And then the week after that on 1020, I have Liz Winstead. Uh, if you're not familiar with Liz, she created The Daily Show. Hello. Uh, and she and I were uh, Twitter friends first, and then I ended up booking her on The Green Room. Uh, I'm a producer on The Green Room for all my new followers and listeners. And uh, and now we're friends. And she's been touring around lately um, doing Planned Parenthood benefits. And I call her the um, the protector of the vagina. <laughs> that's, that's my new term for her. And then on the end of the month, on 1027, another interesting guest I'm having is John Dean. I'm talking the John Dean, the White House, White House counsel for Nixon, John Dean. Hello. This is a man who now is a guest very often on Countdown with Keith, Keith Elberman. He's a man who, you know, ended up being the scapegoat for the Watergate thing. He, he ended up going and turning over to the prosecutors because no one would protect him in the White House. He's written lots of books about it. He's written a lot of book about conservatives. He's a very moderate man. He's a very, very smart man. And I'm, I've once again found him on Twitter. See, Twitter's not all about my narcissism people. I get to book guests for you on, on the Twitter and, and talk to amazing people on there. And so John Dean is going to be one of my guests, which I'm so excited and fascinated because I was 10 years old during Watergate and I'm, I'm just so excited and fascinated to learn more about that. So I have a, a bit of a list of thank yous here. Um, first of all, I want to thank Johnny Dam at New Dissident Radio, who was my, guide and mentor for over a year with my show and welcomed me into the podcasting world and has taken such good care of me and completely blessed me when I said I was coming over to um, Sir. So Johnny, thank you so much. Love you. And go check out New Dissident Radio. There's amazing stuff going on over there. Johnny's show is Damage Report. And there's another really cool show called Ardent Atheist. If you're one of those, you'll love it. Emery Emery. And I want to thank, of course, Mr. Kevin Smith and his darling wife, Jen Schwalbach. They're just darling people. I'm talking like this because it's the new year. Uh, they invited me to come on Plus One Per Diem, and we had a great time. I made Kevin cry five times. And uh, Jen, just cool, cool chick. So I think, uh, you know, besides me and Katie, I don't know if there's many other chicks, Jen, me, and Katie here. Interesting combo, triplet thing going there. People, I, people are already fantasizing about it right now, I'm sure, right this moment. Anyway, I want to thank them so much for for having me on their network and inviting me in and making me people, making me people, making me family. So appreciated. And I want to thank the man here sitting next to me who was in it literally a panic two minutes before the show because we didn't know if we were streaming live. His name's Matt Cohen and he's got his own show. What's your show called, Matt? Banged bagged and boarded. He's a geek and he talks about geek things and he's been doing this for a long time. He's been friends with Kevin for years and he started the whole Smodcastle thing and he's my producer and he's got 10,000 things plugged into other computers here in my studio. He's making this all possible for me today. Um, and I want to thank the whole, the whole crowd of people at the Smodcast, uh, at Sir, um, James Franco and Ken and Alan and just everyone who supports the whole process here. You guys are amazing. And I want to thank Paul Provenza and Babs Roman, who without their support in my work, I wouldn't be doing a podcast right now. God bless them. And uh, I want to thank my friend, Stanny Adams, who came here today. And she's here to support me in my process here, too. It's all about process, people. Don't you get it? I'm a psych major. It's what I talk about. I want to thank all my friends. I want to thank all of you guys for listening today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for subscribing. Um, we're going to get the subscription thing all worked out and figure it out. 
I want to thank my darling, sweet, smart, funny, kind husband, Bob McCall. So everyone, if you, if you need to find me, I'm at WFAD radio at gmail.com. I'm always looking for, um, royalty free music for my show. If I like your, if I like your stuff, I will play it and I will direct people your way. Find me on Twitter. I'm Kelly underscore Carlin. And on Facebook, of course, I have a personal page and a like page. Also follow this podcast on Twitter, which is waking Amer, A-M-E-R dream. And we're going to uh, finish up the show with a song. And I don't know, who, what's the show we're doing? Oh, we're doing Better Man. We are doing Better Man. Okay. This is my dear friend, Eric Schwartz. He normally does really funny songs like uh, Keep Your Jesus Off My Penis, which we'll play on another show. And if you've heard my shows, you've heard Eric, you know all about him. But this is his new uh, song, and it's quite beautiful and lovely. So everyone, um, as dad would say, Joe bless you. Um, and I will say, um, you know, may the big electron protect you. Have a great week. Have a fun weekend. And, um, you know, have a good one. Peace out. One, two, three. There is one whom I have wronged, and he looks at me angrily. This bothers me. No matter what I do I offer my apologies Always he ignores my pleas But I ask myself What the better man would do He would forgive me So I'll forgive me too there have been so many times that I have felt so low I would rather die than look at me From someone else's view And always there were those who would Gladly tell me I'm no good But I ask myself What the better man would do he would love me, so I will love me too. I've been ashamed of the life that I've been living. So take my hand, tell me I'm forgiven. Take my hand and tell me I'm forgiven. So if you're walking down the street and you see a soul who's in defeat, don't you pass him by, no matter what you do. Cause 
brother, don't you understand that when you land a helping hand, the person that you really help is you, yeah. Love your neighbor, he will love you too. If you do the things, if you do the things, you do things the better may will do This has been a production of Smodcast Internet Radio.